Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a brand new show, first season, uh, hosted by me, Asha Saluja. And this show is about life's inflection points. It's about the crossroads in our lives, the paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things how we weigh our options, how we make our pro-con lists, or how we throw that out the window and tap into our intuitions. And we'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things in our lives that alter our fate? Or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I'll have a guest tell me all of the big decisions they've ever made in order. We'll start with birth, fast forward to their first big decision, and map out the road their life has taken as a series of inflection points or junctions. With that, I will introduce today's guest, who I'm really excited to have in the studio because she has a lot of interesting topics to cover that really are not a huge part of my life, and I'm (laughs) eager to hear about them. So, Rachel, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Uh, Rachel Webb here. I'm going to be talking a little bit about uh, some of my passions today. Um, do you want me to do my... I love to do on this show a non-brief introduction. So okay. a little bit like about where you're at in life versus just, well, first what you do. Tell us about your occupation, sure, your sure. hobbies, what else you're up to. And also maybe something to the effect of like, what stage of life do you think you're in? Where are you at? How you doing? Cool. Um doing well. I'm at a really interesting stage in my life where... uh I feel like I've made the major decisions that I needed to make already. And now I'm just kind of planting seeds and letting them grow. Uh, I currently have two main gigs. Uh, I'm a health and wellness coordinator at a supportive housing, at two supportive housing buildings uh, in Brownsville and in Bed-Stuy. Um, and I work with people who've been diagnosed with mental illness, people who have medical illness. And one of my buildings is entirely HIV positive individuals. Uh, My main passion, though, my love, is what I do with a small uh, studio called an Enlightenment Studio. Uh, Its name is Three Jewels New York City. Um, And I'm their marketing and branding person. I do some programming development for them. I also teach yoga and meditation there. 
and occasionally lead workshops. That is all so cool. First of all, the work you do as your your day job, I guess, your main job is like great and beautiful and wonderful work. And I'm really glad that people like you exist. Uh, and secondly, I'm so excited to dive into like, yeah, your passion, your other work at, it's called Three Jewels, right? Yeah, Three Jewels Outreach Center. Right. So excited to get into that because this is kind of up my alley and I'm like eager to hear more and what brought you there. Uh, okay, so the first question on this show is, tell me about the situation into which you were born mm. and what someone, what what a life might have looked like for someone, what an average life might have looked like for someone born the way that you were? Yeah, um, suburban life in Connecticut, pretty uh, pretty typical there. Uh, my birth was interesting. I was born two months premature. I, I actually almost died, um, wow. which uh, that being part of my kind of uh, narrative or like legacy in my family is that there basically has to be a reason for me to be here or I have to prove that there's a reason that I'm here. Um, and so that's been a, a really interesting motor that kind of suffuses the narrative that I have about myself. Wow. That's let's pause there for a yeah. second. That is a really crazy w- way to approach your life, I think, or to yeah. have been forced to approach your life. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> I don't think enough weight is given to our birth stories, but that's kind of like, this moment of intense trauma and like beauty for most people, for for families. Totally. That sets the tone for your entire life. Yeah. I'm totally going to ask that and like ask about that in more detail from now on on this show. So here you are every day uh, giving the world your answer as to why you exist. Um, Tell me, okay, so that's the circumstance into which you were born. Yeah. Um, we can talk about your childhood a little bit if you feel like it is relevant to this question. But the next thing I want to know is tell me about the first big decision you remember making of your own accord. Sure. Um, so, yeah, the first, like I said, my childhood was fairly run of the mill. Um, I'm the oldest of three. Uh, my parents are together. We grew up in a, in a house in Ridgefield, Connecticut in Fairfield County. Uh, I moved to New York City for college. That's and a big one. My, was that a big decision for you? No. Yes. I mean, I always wanted to move here. Yeah. Uh, I was attracted to the immense energy and clarity that people have in New York City. Um, and so it wasn't. It wasn't a decision. Um, it was just, I'm going to live in New York and things are going to happen from there. It was very natural. Uh, but it was very important for me to have chosen to be here, to to have ended up here, essentially, because... Um, it's how I met my Buddhist teacher, which we'll get into. And it's how I uh, found my path. Um, the first decision that I made occurred a couple months after my graduation from NYU. I want it. I want you to say that, but I just can't, I can't help sharing this thought that you feel like moving here was inevitable or something. Like you feel like it was just always what you were going to do. And that's such a specific kind of decision. It's like mm. not an autopilot. It's 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 like, yeah, it's like an autopilot decision. It's the kind that feels inevitable, mm. but it's definitely a specific kind of junction, right? Like it wasn't inevitable. It totally wasn't. Like you, you yeah. were drawn here for some reason, whether it was 
cosmic or dispositional. It was just the kind of kid that you were, the kind of teenager that you were. Yeah. And then for you to say that it it became so important for you to have ended up here. I think that's really special. I'll say it. I've been tempted um, to go into this and maybe it's too deep too quickly, but that's the way I am. Never on this show. Um, <laughs> Same. Uh, we talk a lot uh, in Buddhism about, which, you know, is one of the major, major influences on my life and my path. Um, but we talk about how mind streams are connected to one another. Um, in Buddhism, reincarnation is a huge element of uh, you know, it's just major. It's it's essential to the philosophy, basically. Mm-hmm. When you talk about cause and effect and how a decision could ripen in your mind or how an experience could ripen in your mind, um, the uh, the teaching is that we've been around, we've been doing things since beginningless time. And so when I'm, you know, with my friends who are also studying Buddhism at Three Jewels, Uh, we often talk about what drew us to one another in the first place. I mean, um, or what drew New Yorkers to one another in the first place. And you could say that, you know, we've had a relationship for eons. We've had a relationship that spans multiple lifetimes. And so um, sometimes when you meet someone who uh, had played a huge role in your previous lives, in this current, and, and is slated to play a major role in your current life, um, it feels like it's not a choice. It feels like um, the most natural thing in the world, like, uh, you know, water moving from one container to another container. It's um, usually not something that feels like a friction. I am floored. I, that I this adds this philosophy of yours adds an entire other element to the like the nature of this conversation like <laughs> why do we why do we decide anything maybe I think that you're coming in in strong with a suggestion or maybe a proposition an argument that these decisions aren't aren't conscious <laughs> um that's so beautiful wow I can't believe that was just said on my podcast. I'm so excited <laughs> that you're here. Um, so the first big decision. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, first big decision. You have to rewind uh, pre-Buddhism. Uh, basically, I was just this normal kind of girl, graduated from college. Uh, I was going to be a writer or a therapist, Um, and that was kind of the thing, but I was in this limbo where I was working like six days a week, um, struggling to pay rent. My girlfriend and I had just broken up and I was dealing with depression and anxiety. It was something I dealt with my whole life, you know, um, this this was after college or what? This was right after college. I was, um, how old are you when you graduate? 22, 22. Yeah. yeah. It was a few time. months. It was like the winter after. I remember it was winter. It was the winter after graduating college. And um, I just was completely overcome with the symptoms of, you know, mental illnesses that I have been diagnosed with. And I did what everyone does when they want to improve their life, which um, is you try to change things around you to make you feel better. And so I, um, you know, I decided, okay, I'm going to do yoga. Yoga makes me feel good. I was doing yoga seven days a week. Um, I recognized that uh, drinking alcohol had caused a lot of suffering for me. So I stopped drinking. And um, in the course of 
gaining a deeper relationship with my body through yoga. Have you done yoga before? Yeah, I yeah. do love, I love yoga. I practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, like, um, as you get deeper in the practice and you get more subtle and more aware of yourself and your body, um, one of the things that you might start to do is contemplate what you allow to enter your body. Um, and for me, you know, becoming vegetarian and then ultimately becoming vegan and then also staying away from substances was really important for me at the time. So, it was so like these a, were all sort of one, one mass decision or did they of. happen in, in waves? Well, um, yeah, it was a series of smaller um, decisions. Like I can't pinpoint. It wasn't a thing like um, where you meet a lot of people um, who've gone through AA or something like that, where they can like pinpoint the moment that they decided or that they quit for good. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't really like that. I think I remember my last glass of wine. I think it was at that bar called Enye downtown. Oh, cute. Like, yeah. a, like a glass of red wine. I mm -hmm. think that was the last. But anyway, I can't really remember. I can't really put my finger on it. I just remember that I felt good in my body. Yeah. And that the practice of yoga allowed me to be free, at least momentarily, from the thoughts of depression, um, extreme anxiety. Like if you've ever had a, an anxiety attack, it's like so terrible and you're just kind of walking around feeling trapped. Um, yoga was a source of freedom for me. And so I was like, okay, whatever it is, like you tell me, yoga teacher, whatever it is that I have to do to keep this high going, I'll do. So... Okay, I have a few questions sure. here. My first one is maybe a more brief question. Did your yoga teacher or teachers encourage these lifestyle changes for you? Like were they were they suggested by them? Um, I think they're implied when you start to read certain philosophy books. Um, but again, it wasn't there was no one specific that that kind of stuck out. Um, it's just kind of that general like uh, wellness trend, which is like gains so much steam now. Yeah. Right. But, um, there's always the discussion of like, Oh, decrease alcohol use. Oh, you might not want to eat meat on like Thursdays or something. I don't know, but right, right. it's around, it's around in pop culture. Yeah. So where were you practicing and what brought you to, it was this time in your life, the first time you'd practiced yoga or the first time you took it seriously? Tell me a little bit about that journey. Kind of. Yeah. I, w I was actually going to yoga to the people. Me Do you too. Know it? Yeah. You know it? It's so funny oh. because, okay, I, I, this is a newest show and my aim is not to talk much about myself, but <laughs> we sort of didn't get into this and I didn't prepare to not talk about myself so I can't help but chime in about my story yeah I would say that going to yoga to the people very similarly got me through that same phase of life when I was yeah. like 22 23 I was struggling with some food issues and I, I don't think I had a problem with alcohol but I think I had you know I think I was just using that to mask sort of to prov to like avoid being alone with myself, going mm. out drinking with friends was just a really big part of my life. Yeah. Um, and I would say that yoga to the people and beginning that like beginning to have a relationship with my body and to explore it and understand it better definitely also got me through a, a really rough time um, riddled with maybe some generalized anxiety. I haven't been diagnosed with any illnesses, but mm -hmm. anxiety is definitely a part of my life. Um, 
in 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 the way that people use it colloquially like uh-huh. I'm, i run anxious gotcha. rather than depressed i would say <laughs> uh but i'm i don't have any diagnosed illnesses sure. that said for you to say for like for you to describe this journey to me one that's so that started out so similarly to my own hmm. uh and for you to describe it as almost inevitable inevitable like yeah well i started doing yoga and then i went vegan and then i quit alcohol and then i became a buddhist and for me to have undertook the same kind of exercise and yeah. really just landed somewhere totally different than that. <laughs> like I'm definitely, you know, I'm into I'm into Buddhism. I've been yeah. a vegetarian for parts of my life. I'm not eating meat at the moment, but like cool. It, it, like it's I don't know. Fun. I we're, sounds, we're different. Yeah. I still drink alcohol. I'm hungover today. Like <laughs> I'm hungover right now. I am. Yeah. So <laughs> I I think this also speaks yeah. kind of slyly to the inevitability conversation we were just having like it you're you're like writing this off as like oh yeah well i started doing yoga and therefore x y and z and i started doing yoga and several totally different things happened i you know i improved my relationship with food i started Mm -hmm. feeding myself more healthily Mm -hmm. um i did learn to meditate and that helped with a lot of things too but different things happened for us yeah uh well, yoga and meditation are like powerful. They're really powerful tools. Um, so I, I just want, yeah, can give it, can we talk about how, can we talk about these outcomes for you mm-hmm. in light of the fact that maybe they're not so inevitable? Like what else do you think went into it? Like, yeah, was there an element? Was the fact that there was an element of reading and research to it for you? part of why you decided to do these things or were you part of a community that was emphasizing wellness or you know what what else was there for you that made these things happen um my heart was drawn to truth like i uh knew that there must have been something more than what i was doing i knew that there had to be something more i i mean if there wasn't then what is the point uh, what is the point of being alive if you can't discover a deeper agency? And when I started to learn through yoga, I mean, at Yoga to the People, they read those beautiful quotes, you know, you can change your life. You are empowered. And I was like, I get it. OK, cool. Let me try. Yeah. And I started seeing the results. There's this thing called yoga that helps me not feel the way that I don't want to feel. So um, when you find something like I think change is um, it won't occur unless you're trying to stop pain or pursue a deeper pleasure. And so um, for me, it was both of those things. It was um, moving away from the this pain of um, the symptoms of my mental illnesses, which I've been diagnosed and I was in therapy for over a decade um, trying to work with them and. Um, you know, I was like, I'm doing everything right. I'm just going to try. Like I'm already doing the therapy thing. I'm already doing the medication thing. Um, I'm smart. Like, why can't I figure this out? Okay. Yoga makes me feel good. It was like this thing that I was drawn to, um, like a, like a firefly or not a firefly. What's drawn to light? Moth. Moths. <laughs> a moth. 
yeah. but it was it it actually like yoga was just the door it, it's right. not the ultimate um not the ultimate goal yeah so i would say that those were the trappings that i had to shed um to get closer to what was actually um the central axis of my life which is meeting um the buddhist teachings uh meeting my amazing teacher uh, and then my other teacher who I hadn't planned to talk about, but maybe we'll talk about her as well. Um, so it's the way that you experience yoga and the way that you pursue it. And, and when I, I wanted to know, like, why do I feel this way? Okay. And so I read, um, okay, I guess we'll enter the story this way. I read Be Here Now by Ram Dass, Richard okay. Albert. Have you heard of the book? I've heard of the book. I don't have much familiarity with it. Okay, so he's this Hindu dude. He's really awesome. He's still alive. Um, he's like in his 90s, I think. Anyway, so he wrote this book and I read it and it's, you know, philosophy, beautiful calligraphy and um, he had studied Buddhism as well and uh, he wrote these things like, um, you know, the truth of suffering, like everything that, that feels good is going to turn to shit. Oh, can I swear? Yeah, you okay. totally can. Um, everything that feels good is going to turn to shit. And that like really rang true to me. And yeah. then like while simultaneously presenting that truth, he also was like, oh, there's this thing called yoga and meditation that can help you penetrate that truth and get to something deeper and get to a place where things don't have to change that way. And then at the back of the book, he explained some yogic exercises and some pranayama and like a daily sadhana, your daily practice to refine your mind so that you can change your experience of reality. And um, when I read that book, and I read it like every day to keep my shit together. So I read that book every day and I did yoga every day to keep my shit together. And I started Googling. Here's a good turning point for you. I started Googling um, how to find a Buddhist teacher. Like I wow. literally was like, how do you find a guru? Like, what does that even mean? I want to go deeper. I want that. Okay, this, cool. This, right. So, so this <laughs> was like what this was you reading the book. Yeah. And being like, okay, I need I need to learn this from someone who's an expert. And yeah. in a personalized fashion. Exactly. That's um, so cool. So you're Googling it. And what's, I'm Googling it. What does the Google yield? It was like nothing fruitful whatsoever. Um, you get a lot of like, uh, I think it was like a lot of news articles about like, just like cults um, and stuff. Exciting. But I ended up um, meeting my teacher or my guru um, I've never actually really heard him use that word, I don't think. But uh, I met him in a coffee shop called Little Skips, which just happenstantially. Yeah, totally. I, oh I was online. So like at the time I was unemployed and I was spending a lot of time there reading and writing and just chilling. And uh, wait, can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Because this seems like an invisible junction. My favorite kind. Yeah. You were unemployed. Were you like fired from some job you hated and it was OK? Like what, what um, happened? What happened that allowed you to be in that coffee shop that day? I think I quit that job. There were two jobs that I was no longer working at. And I think I was in the transition of like getting a job that had something to do with my degree. Mm. Like I was working in retail and I was also um, a personal assistant of this woman who uh, it, she was asking a lot for not enough money. And so we were kind of like, going our separate ways uh but yeah i don't know i was just unemployed watching a lot of netflix and then going to little skips 
and um there were these two dudes online there's a really long line especially that was back when there was just one little skips now there's three um actually soon to be four because they're opening up a cafe in three jewels um so full circle i know so beautiful i know so there's these two guys in line and I walk into Little Skips and they're kind of messing with me like, oh, you can cut us. It's OK. They were like fourth or fifth online, but there uh-huh. were like 20 people online. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. And here I am like trying to practice morality. You know, I'm a yogi. I'm like trying to do the right thing. I'm like, no, no, I can't cut you. I can't cut you. I'm sorry. I have to wait online. And but they're funny guys. So they were messing with me. And then um, anyway, after we all got our food, I went and sat down with them. They were like, come sit with us. Tell us like what you're all about, you know. And I was like, well, I, you know, I went Did you to- find this unusual for strangers to be engaging with you in this way? Were you, were you uh, like kind of like New Yorker mode? Like, why are these people talking to me? No, no. I mean, that's the culture there. It's like yeah. a bunch of weirdos and we yeah. all just talk to each other. And um, I've met a lot of people there, actually. Um, this was the most significant right. uh, meeting, probably. So I sat down with them and uh, they were just kind of asking about my life and who I am or whatever. And I said, you know, I studied at NYU. I studied psychology at NYU. And um, but, you know, I really don't care about that too much anymore. Uh, What I really care about is this. And I pulled out the Tibetan book of living and dying by Sogyal Rinpoche. And they were both like had this weird look on their faces. And, and, uh, you know, Stephen, who's now my best friend, was like, oh, I manage a Buddhist center. Um. And he teaches. You should wow. come. Like, you should come to this place. <laughs> and that I was is like, such a awesome. miraculous chance encounter. I can't believe it. Wow. Yeah. So that guy ended up becoming my teacher. Amazing. Uh, and the other guy ended up becoming my best friend and also my teacher. Uh, and so um, I ended up going there. You know, it's funny because we were in Bushwick when we met, but the, mm-hmm. the studio, Three Jewels, is in Manhattan. And uh, at the time on 4th Ave and I walked up these three flights of stairs and opened the door and there was Steven and he was like, oh, my God, it's so cool that you came. Uh, So from there, they actually offer. Is it okay if I talk a little bit about what I study there? Please do. Go ahead. Um, So uh, within Three Jewels, there's this program called Asian Classics Institute, which is actually an international program that teaches uh, typical monastic education. So like if you're a monk in Nepal or in Tibet, what would you, or in India or in New Jersey, (laughs) what what you would study Uh um, to basically become a geshe. It's like your, it's like your doctorate or your master's geshe. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like a master's or a doctorate in Buddhism, but it's like through the monastic system. Right. So anyway, the, the founder of the studio, um, translated all of the necessary works that were not yet in English to English and then wrote a curriculum around them so that lay people, non monks and nuns could study the body of that work, um, in English, still going to work, still having a family and it's a five-year program and it's free. So I just started doing that. It's it's 18 courses. Wow. I'm almost done. That's amazing. That's free? <laughs> it is free. You can change it's, your life for free? Yes, you can. Wow. Um, so when was this? Place oh this my in gosh. time a little bit. Uh, 2014. Okay. 2013. 2013. It was around January 2013 when I began studying there. So how did that play out? I mean, you're, you told me that now you've begun the 18 course program, but what, 
was your initial involvement there? No, that was the initial. Oh, so that's yeah. how you started out. I just dove in. I was like, what Amazing. is this stuff? Let me try. Okay. Just like with yoga. Right. Um, let me learn more. Like if this intersects with the good feeling that I got from yoga, I need to know all about it. And it's free. And I was like so broke at the time. And I was like, let me just do this. Right. And um, there was no there was no turning back after uh, after sitting through just one class. I was like, wow. What was the feeling like? What, what, well, so I guess the question you were going into it with was, does this intersect with the progress I've been making in yoga? And will this give me this feeling or this um, kind of truth that I'm craving? And in, in class one, you were like, yep. Is that how it played out? Totally. I mean, um, I, I spoke a little bit about in the Ram Dass book when he talks about um, the four Arya truths um, that the Buddha realized after becoming enlightened. And one of them is the truth of suffering. So there's the, uh, I'll just, I'll, you know, hopefully I can remember them all on a radio show. Um, <laughs> so um, there's the truth of suffering. Everything turns to shit. I was like, cool. Got it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Second one is that uh, suffering is caused. There's a reason why these things occur in your life. Um, and then the third one is then if there's a reason, um, you can stop it. So it's the truth of cessation of suffering. And then the fourth one is the path out. Hmm. So suffering occurs, it's caused, you can end it. And there's a way to end it. There's like actually an instruction guidebook. And, um, you know, I had had direct experience with the first truth. And I felt in a way that somehow my decisions and my actions were contributing to my experience of suffering. And so I was like, all right, you sold me on like the first one and a half or like 1.7. Let me see if by practicing these things that you're teaching me that I can get some clarity around, can I stop suffering? Is there a path that teaches you how to... Um, to find your completely, way Yeah, like completely erase whatever is causing the negative things to occur in your life. Um, so from there, I basically, I'm on this like journey on my life of basically trying to verify through direct action in life, like I'm talking to you now, but also through meditation of trying to determine, are those assertions true? Can I have a direct experience that shows me that I can basically manifest what I want in my life and destroy what I don't want in my life, destroy my suffering, destroy the suffering of others? Um, so everything else is an experiment from there. You keep using language that reminds me or I'm, you use the word experiment. It seems yeah. like you've approached these undertakings, yoga and Buddhism and meditation as experiments like you, you needed to test them out. And you sort of described feeling sold on the 1.7, the first 1.7 truths and feeling the need to vet <laughs> out the remaining 3.3. Uh, yeah. 2.3. Yep. 2.3. <laughs> uh, so was that an active experimentation process? Were yes. you checking in with yourself and being like, oh, yeah. is this working? Like, t tell yes. me how you approach that. Yes. Because that's well, a very present thing to, to be doing. Like, totally. To tell yourself, I'm going to test this out and then to actually check back in with yourself and be like, how is this going? Is it something you have to do in a structured way or was um, it? 
just part of your mindset at that time? Well, you have to, I mean, blind faith is scary and no one wants to be convicted of it. <laughs> so wow. basically, um, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like the big thing, especially in America. Like, don't just believe something because someone's telling you. And, and actually in the Buddhist teachings, they say the exact same thing. So it's for me, funny. blind faith is it's a vile accusation in 21st century <laughs> America, but it's so prevalent. Yeah. And blind faith, I think, is the least when you're participating in it is the least scary thing in the world. It's the easiest. Yeah, it's, it's very sedating. Yeah. I mean, I had blind faith in therapy for 13 years. I had blind faith that an antidepressant was going to change my life. And um you know, 10 years later, when you turn back and look around and you say, what changed? Nothing changed. I just took a pill every morning. Nothing changed. I just talked to one person for an hour every week. I was still having the same problems. Wow. And so um, I basically met a teaching or a series of teachings which said, you will continue to meet the same problem until you figure out what's actually causing it. So then I was like, all right, let me figure out, like, is there a cause? Yeah. So what is the check-in process like? Let's yeah. put yourself back in time now. You're you're continuing to vet out the truths that you, that kind of remain to be seen. Uh -huh. And how are you feeling? Were you, what, was there mounting evidence that this was a, a good path for you? Yeah. For like the first while, <laughs> I don't want to mm -hmm. put a time on it because sometimes I feel like I'm still there, you know? It, it was a, an act of um, immediate need. Like, I need my life to change. I, I don't want it. That. Yeah, right? And you're mm -hmm. like, I will literally, like, someone, like, like, extend a hand, please, because I will take it and I will do whatever is necessary to get out of this corner. So for the first while, it was very much about that. It was like, oh, okay, it was like, like uh, leading a horse with a carrot or something. And so I was like, okay, 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 okay. Then my life started getting better. Um, I was surrounded by a network of people who were also seeking, who were also dealing with their shit. We we're talking openly about it, but also, um, and I'll talk about Nepal and I'll talk about getting off of meds, um, but also my life got better. And I sort of started to feel like the reason why my life got better is because I was putting these certain teachings into practice. So um, I'll talk about the next junction, if that's all right with you. Yes, let's do it. Um, in 2014, in March, was it March? It was March. I um, decided to quit my job at the time, which I was a research assistant um, interviewing alcoholics. Um, and my teacher at the time, I'm studying Buddhism, blah, blah. He says, we're all going to Nepal. He actually uh, runs an additional nonprofit called the 108 Lives Project. And you know what? They're going this March. So I recommend it to anyone who's listening. It's a beautiful, um, beautiful experience in Kathmandu, Nepal. So um, I was invited to go and I took it as this um, initiation into truly living and embodying a sense of um, fearless pursuit of my own happiness and my own peace. And, wow. um, so I, so I quit my job and I went with them for a month and I also had planned to stay for an additional month just 
you know, kind of like an Eat, Pray, Love thing, but I've never actually read or watched Eat, Pray, Love. I just know it colloquially. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. Yeah. So I went there. We worked with um, doing some relief and some education um, in certain villages around uh, Kathmandu Valley, but also in Kathmandu in um, a couple of schools and orphanages, um, doing what we could. Um, to assist them with anything they needed. That sprang from um, an initial trip that he took um, doing a series, like a photo documentary um, of 108 beggars um, in the streets of Kathmandu. So that's why it's right. called 108 Lives. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm there doing all this work and I really met myself. Um, you really meet yourself in uh, Nepal or I would venture to say any kind of like third world country where you're basically you don't have the conveniences those like sedative conveniences that prop you up in new york like i need this type of coffee at this time every day and when that's not there to deliver you things yeah or like if my apartment's not the perfect temperature or i can't like immediately turn on netflix and just like totally chill out so um i met myself really um and kind of like a car crash in Nepal, I was so like way out of my comfort zone. Um, but I felt that it was necessary to test um, some of the things that I had learned and kind of just get deeper um, somehow, like become more fearless uh, in my pursuit of freedom. Um, and so all of these things happen like, I um, had this total outbreak of acne. I had like this rash on my face to the point where people were coming up at me and like, like holding my face and being like, are you okay? I was experiencing like, I, I, I'm sorry. I cannot picture that. You have the most flawless skin. I've been staring at it. How did that happen? Um, It was just like, I, well, before I went to a dermatologist and got some serious medications, I was acne prone. But when I went to Nepal, it was like crazy. I mean, it was my karma to have this outbreak. I was, uh, my face was like kind of red. I was angry all the time. I was hungry all the time. Like one of my friends who was there with me, um, who might not even remember this, but um, I was eating like four or five meals a day. And she was like, Rachel, like, what is it that you're eating? And I got so pissed at her because I was like, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say about my mental state? I'm in Nepal. I'm pursuing truth. (laughs) Um, But it was it was intense. And I saw my mind. I saw how my tendencies, if it's true that I'm creating the experiences that come back at me, like if it's true that reality is just this mirror of everything I've ever said, thought or done, I can really see how the way that my mind wants to move right now is like really vile and like sick. And that could be why I was experiencing all of these things like, you know, people just like, uh, you know, bad relationships and bad, you know, low self-worth. I could start to see that I was really creating some of my own suffering there. Um, So that was a major window. And when I started to recognize that these habits of mine that I had were like going out into the world and then blossoming back at me where I was experiencing angry people. I was experiencing judgmental people. I was experiencing hurtful, manipulative people. I was like, oh shit, I really need to get to know what my mind is doing. And so 
I had already stopped numbing with alcohol. I was using alcohol a lot to numb. I was trying to stop numbing with food. And I like kind of took a look at my Lexapro. And I was like, fuck this. I need to really like show me everything. Was show this me. in Nepal? This was in Nepal. When you're um, reckoning with your bottle of Lexapro. Against my therapist's advice. Because I had been like sort of contemplating it and... um you know, she's like, well, be gentle, be gentle on yourself, Rachel. And I was like, no, this is the time. The time is now. I'm getting rid of these drugs. Um, and I need to really meet my mind. And I remember um, it was before we we had set to have this huge dinner with a bunch of people we knew. One of the guys, James, who leads an organization out there making quilts, teaching women to quilt. Um, a couple people I met just kind of like vagabond Buddhists, which Rupi, if you're listening to this, I'm talking about you. And then also with my, my Sangha, with my, my Buddhist friends. And I just was having this immense anxiety about um, being at this dinner. For some reason, I just was terrified and um, I hadn't taken my meds and I was like, okay, this is probably you withdrawing from the meds. Um, But it's also your mind's tendency. So I sat down and, um, I did this meditation called Tonglen meditation. Um, it's a beautiful, like stunning practice. If you're ever dealing with really serious life issues, um, you basically visualize that you're already, you already know all of the answers. You already possess all of the wisdom that you would ever need. And you can either, um, visualize yourself pulling all of the, um, um, all of the pain or lack of understanding, like black tar out of someone's body. This is not an instruction. Like if someone's, <laughs> please don't do this meditation don't the way I'm describing, but it's a visualization practice, which basically eradicates suffering from someone. Uh-huh. And I had recently asked Hector, who is my teacher. I've been calling him my teacher. That's like very culty. His name <laughs> is Hector Marcel. Um, he's a person. He's a real person. Um, He doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't look too weird or anything. Um, he's anyway, not capital he's, M, my capital T teacher. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I had practiced this meditation that he taught me, which basically I did it on myself. I did it on my future self. So I sat down. Did you do this at the dinner? No, I did this in my, in my, uh, in my room at the guest house. And I sat down and I visualized myself walking, um, by the major stupa in Boda in this, um, neighborhood of Kathmandu. Um, and I just imagine, I did this beautiful meditation practice where I just imagined that I was my enlightened self visiting this poor fuck who like could not stop feeling anxious. Sorry. Can I say fuck? Yeah, you totally okay. can. I love um, fuck. <laughs> and I just, uh, pulled all of the fear and all of the ignorance that caused fear out of my body. And, um, it was a, it was a pretty immediate ripening. So karma doesn't always ripen immediately after you plant it, but it felt immediate where when I was walking, um, to the dinner and when I arrived at the dinner, I didn't feel anxious anymore. And I just felt, um, I felt like, Hey, you know, maybe some of this stuff works. Um, and so it kind of like validated my decision to try to use these methods, um, which everyone cautions you against, like, don't use meditation as a supplement for your psych meds. Don't, you know, whatever. But it validated my choice, um, which was to kind of radically try to work with my own mind um, from within itself. Like, 
a sword cutting itself. Yeah. Just Um, to understand that you had the tools you needed or to kind of get this immediate like auspicious sign that you you had the tools you needed to go off medication. Right. Yeah. This it's crazy that this all sort of happened in one day or like. (laughs) right like a 24-hour period this is like a true junction where you were just like i'm gonna do this i've been thinking about it i've been warned against it but i'm gonna do it yeah and then for you to sort of immediately foray into what you knew would would be your tool for replacing it and to get positive feedback on that experiment that's a good point. I, I don't know if I ever thought of it that way. Um, what, but like yeah, that's crazy like crazy 24 hours. Instant validation. Yeah. I kind of was like, it can't get any worse. I'm just going to like go for it. Like it's like trial by fire. I'm already like got this like terrible acne on my face. I'm freaking starving and I'm anxious <laughs> and I'm angry at everyone. Wow. Like, like throw the meds away. Let me do this meditation. Let me just fully embrace this path and see what happens. How long had you been on medication? Mm, um, I don't know. On and off for maybe like four years. Okay. But I have a family history of like psych. And so it's, it seemed like it seemed again, the inevitability thing. It seemed kind of inevitable that I would have some diagnosis and take some medication and, um, yeah, and I had been in therapy for maybe 13, 13 years. Wow. Okay. <laughs> or maybe 10 at the time. I, I don't know. I'm not very good at simple right, math, right. but it was something like intense, long. Wow. Um, that's a beautiful story. I Thanks. mean, this show takes no stance on the use of medication. <laughs> <laughs> disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer. Don't try this <laughs> this meditation at home, but that's a really beautiful story. Um, Thank you what's what's next so how does that go how does it work out um it was amazing i uh well actually there's one more point and i'll talk about um so as i'm like purifying well we don't have to go too much into this but as i'm like kind of going through this like intense change um i also had simultaneously decided to do a three-day solitary solitary retreat in a monastery and i so like uh at that point all my friends had left Hector left, Steve left. I was with a bunch of other people and they had all gone back to New York City and I was there in Nepal for a month by myself. And um, I was working with the stray dogs, which was so fun. Um, I decided to do this three-day retreat. So I went into this monastery, um, which was a very auspicious place. Um, Anyway, this guy, Padmasambhava, um, was said to have meditated in a cave there. And so I went and I was like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to have all these realizations. And I basically was just freaking out in a room for three days. Um, but it was awesome uh, because I was found... Was awesome in the moment? No, Were definitely like, not. awesome? Okay. I was like, oh, Rachel, you suck at meditating. <laughs> you like, you're the worst Buddhist. Um, you're the worst Buddhist Who ever. are you kidding? Like... But it was actually a really negative self dialogue. Oh, totally. Well, that's still there, but I'm like slowly, like, uh, slowly (laughs) uprooting those tendencies. Wow. Um, so then having gone through that, I then, uh, flew back to, um, to the States. And a few months after that, um, I felt like 
I kind of had this, I had like started the engine and it was like warming up. And then I was like trying out these practices and I had gone to Nepal and had these crazy experiences. And I was meditating every day at that point, um, just about 10 minutes. And um, in the teachings, you basically, so you're basically get a, become acquainted with the fact that like reality is your creation, right? If you're walking down Broadway, like the Broadway that you see and the Broadway that I see are totally different. Like, um, you know, I'm a dog lover, cat lover. So I might be like, like only looking from like ground up to like 24 inches, you know, like just looking for the animals mm -hmm. and say you're like really hungry or something. You're going to be looking at delis or something. Right. Yep. So, um, that Broadway is a completely different Broadway for both of us. What does that mean? It means that the stuff in my mind is actually creating my experience of reality. If that's true, which of course we have to verify, Buddhism says, hey, like, okay, you want to run with this? Then you have to learn to plant seeds so that your reality is the type of reality that you want to experience. How do you plant those seeds? You modify how you speak, how you act, and how you think so that you can start to create a world that you actually want to be in. Like that was so <laughs> succinctly put. I Thanks. feel like you just, you just solved it. You That's just karma and it. emptiness people. Wow. Oh my um, gosh. I can't believe how much I've learned <laughs> in this hour. I, I feel so lucky to have you here. Thanks. You're planting some seeds in my mind. Oh, my reality is going to be better soon. <laughs> um, okay. That was my segue to talk about the vows. Okay. Do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, we have, I mean, we have 10 minutes left. So I want you to talk about whichever junctions yes. feel the most important well, to you. Well, this is like the that deepest. We haven't to yet. And it's funny because you were the like, well, when it's like 15 minutes left, you're going to realize that you haven't talked about your favorite thing. Yeah, so I warned you about this right before the episode. Okay, so let's do it. Yeah, so um, the, the time came where I was sort of, um, you know, in my own head, I was like, well, if it's true that I'm creating my experience, there's practices and commitments that you can make so that your mind only moves in a way that creates an experience that you like. And so basically, if you're a good person, um, you're planting good seeds that will then bloom into the way that you are navigating your world in your own mind. And um, so it was kind of funny. So it was like, Every action, every decision that I've talked about was kind of like a sieve to like bring my mind to this um, kinder place where I could then, um, you know, and then my reality shifted a little bit. And then my reality, like I gave up me and my reality shifted a little bit. I was able to meet my teacher. Um, you know, I uh, went to Nepal and I, I got off my psych meds and then I got a little bit deeper and I got the opportunity to um, take Buddhist vows Actually, twice, but I'll just talk about generally. And basically what those do is they kind of, um, they kind of help you, uh, create a mind that will only create a good experience. And it's hard. It's not like you take vows and they're basically like the Ten Commandments, right? So it's like, don't, don't be an ass, like basically, seriously, but yeah. I need that. I need to promise, like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to, um, hurt anyone yeah. i'm not you know 
So anyway, so you basically say, I'm going to try to, um, I'm going to, like, I vow to experiment with my reality by experimenting with my own mind. And so that was the biggest thing for me. I basically made this decision to adhere to certain, um, a certain code of ethics to see if my reality changed. So up until that point, it was kind of an informal decision that I was making. But when it got to this point, which was a few months, it was actually January on my best friend's birthday that we had decided together um, to do the ceremony and basically promise that, um, that we would try to be good people and hope that it has a result um, that we want. And so from then, um, things just got better. <laughs> this is a specific vow, right? Oh, it's yeah. A, it's, uh, yeah. A, it, it's written. It's, it's quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a few. So now I have about 142 vows. Wow. Um, but I've also so taken... So this is a, a framework of your own invention, or is it's it, Buddhist. It's totally Buddhist. Do other Buddhists take the, yeah. this? Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is totally. like an existing framework. There's a secret community in the world. Wow. That has basically gotten on one knee and said, I've suffered. I know what it's like to suffer. I feel sort of convinced that I can create my own reality. If that's true, I promise to do these things so that I try to end my suffering, but also, more importantly, universal suffering. Wow. And that's like a big, you know, kind of logical thing that we can investigate at some point. But yeah, there's this secret community of people living around that don't necessarily talk about it in the way that I'm talking about it. Um, but they've promised, they've made these promises to their teacher, to their community in these secret ceremonies Basically saying, um, you know, I promise not to be an ass to start. I promise not to be an ass. Okay. And then as you get deeper. Is the word ass used? It could be for some people. Okay. I think, <laughs> you know, um, Hector may or may not have used that word at certain points. Got it. But, um, and then as you get deeper, there's really beautiful promises that you can make where you basically say, like, I promise to protect people. I promise to help people. Um, I promise to be as close to like someone's guardian angel as I can. And so then you find that you go around re- the world. Like you go around reality. I'm like, this is the matrix. <laughs> you tour you, reality. You, you tour reality and you basically make it your business to make people's lives better. You like drop these little secret, beautiful um, actions or phrases or you um, gifts or secret things that you do to help people. And then you actually watch them start to turn up in your reality. So you'll start to have experiences where you're like, oh my God, like I totally planted that by doing that thing with that person. And um, you start to slowly verify that um, maybe these changes you've made are functioning for you in like a really appropriate, beautiful way. Does it feel to you like, is that happening for you? How long has it been since you made this decision to take your vows and how how is your life now? Yeah. It happened? It worked? The first it's working. So we talked about beginningless time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm good. <laughs> I'm trying to be good. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a long process. 
So would I say that my life has improved? Yes. Like I've been able to stay um, off of psych meds. I planted and am now experiencing um, a beautiful relationship, my longest relationship ever. I, I was never very good at commitment um, or relationships in general. And now I somehow have this like stunning girlfriend who is like the sweetest, kindest person I've ever met. I have a group of friends who I like love and trust and believe in. Um, and little opportunities like this radio show to be able to talk about this and to be creative and um, they just turn up out of nowhere. Yeah. But it's not out of nowhere. It's because not. <laughs> you did a lot of work. You did a lot of work. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So I guess we're running out of time, which is a shame because we've hardly been able to get into the work that you do. Yeah. Um, both, both jobs that you have, I guess you're, yeah. uh, which is sad. Maybe we could have an entire other episode about that. <laughs> I think that we could, what with all the Buddhist teaching you're peppering into this, yeah. which I feel really grateful for. I will go on the record and say that some of the framework you've introduced today mm. will change my life. Like straight awesome. up, I feel confident saying that. Yay! I think, you know, everyone's always looking for what to fill their life with and mm -hmm. just... Yeah, the idea that you've introduced to me that I've not really heard put so succinctly about changing your reality is so powerful. I just mm -hmm. can't believe it. I feel really <laughs> lucky to have you here. Thanks. Um, and radio, you know, an auditory medium, but I kind of wish that any listeners could see Rachel in the studio right now because you're kind of ethereal and glowing. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. I can't imagine that face with acne on it because you're just, you're pristine. <laughs> Um, okay. I guess that's it. It's, that's, that's almost our time. Any, any parting thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, I think if anyone, if any listener is interested in learning more formally about this stuff or even informally, I mean, uh, three jewels is the place that I work at. I teach yoga there. Um, I'm also like the hugest nerd, one of the hugest nerds in the class. And, um, uh, Hector Marcel teaches on Thursday evenings at seven thirty. We are on 5 East 3rd Street, uh, right across from the Bowery Hotel. All of the Dharma classes, the philosophy that I've been talking about, um, is taught for free um, or by donation um, at 7.30 on Thursdays. You can follow us at 3JewelsNYC, um, and you can also go to 3Jewels.org. Amazing. Please do those things. <laughs> You'll be enlightened and ethereal, just like Rachel. Uh, also, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com to donate. RFB is a community-funded nonprofit entity, uh, and any donation, big or small, really helps. You can find my show page on Facebook, uh, Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. My theme song is by Nation of Language. Check them out on Bandcamp or on tour. Uh, that's all, folks. Have a beautiful Sunday.